If you have your Bible, you can read along with me or listen. Romans has been the longest sermon series in 10 years that I've ever been part of. It's been a journey, folks. But now we're going to teach the entirety of Romans 16. And I actually want to read it to you, and then I'm going to have you sit down and we're going to preach because it's at first blush, you might read it and think, what in the world do you do with this? So Romans 16, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church. Remember, Paul is writing this as a letter. He's saying goodbye. These are his final words. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Synchrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need for you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me, not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles that are grateful to them. Greet the church that meets at their house. Every one of us that has a house can have a church in our house. We can, Shoreline can be full. Hundreds of house churches if we just tell our Jesus stories. Greet my dear friend Epinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who've been in prison with me. They're outstanding among the apostles. They were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliitis, my friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ. And our dear friend Stockies. Greet Apellus, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the chest. Greet those who belong to the household of a Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphenus and Tryphosa, the women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother has been a mother to me. Greet Ensynchronitis, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Pro tip, if you just speak Jesus, if you, when you come upon the names of Scripture, nobody knows how to pronounce them either. So just go with it, and they won't know. Just do it with confidence. Greet Phologus, Julius, Neresius, the sister, Olympus, and all the Lord's people with them. Greet the church with a holy kiss. Turn to the person next. No, no, don't do that. And all the churches of Christ send the greetings. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings. What's up? As do Lucius, Jason, Sopanitis, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Paul had a scribe. The scribe's name was Tertius. Tertius wrote himself into the Bible. Even I, Tertius, I say what's up too. I guarantee Paul had no idea. Tertius, do not put that in there. I, Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church enjoy, we send you the greetings. Erastus, who's the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings and now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with the gospel the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ Amen. Turn to somebody on your left and right and say, how's he going to connect this to my life? And grab a seat. Grab a seat. Grab a seat. Your sermon title today is called Final Words. Final Words. Let me start you with a question. Have you ever had final words spoken to you that you haven't been able to get out of your head? 
Final words. Has there ever been final words spoken that just stuck with you for good or not good purposes? Maybe it's a, a graduation speech or a final word from a teacher that just inspired you as you left college or left high school or as you kind of headed into the future. Maybe final words from a loved one from their deathbed or, or even worse, somebody that said something to you and then left your life. And so it's those final words that you just can't quite get rid of. Some final words are remembered for the wrong reason and some for the right reason. Paul's final words teach us a lot about the values he wants us to ascribe to as a church. Those are the right reasons. Some final words, like I said, are remembered for the wrong reasons. I had these final words spoken to us. This is our senior year of high school. We were playing football. The team had been historically poor. Ten years of poor performance. And bless our heart, our coach was trying to motivate us because we were playing the, one of the top-ranked teams in the state undefeated. And he gathered us in the locker room. And he's running up and down, spitting from, you know, yelling and trying to fire up a 17-, 18-year-old self. And, and he says, all right, boys, are you ready for your final words? Yes. Yeah. Coach, we're screaming, we're beating our chest, you know. And here it is shoot for the moon, even if you miss, you'll be among stars. We're like, What? Jogged out. What would he say? Well, if we miss, we'll be among stars. That doesn't, that's just a cliche. And if we miss, what's he saying? Now, here's the thing the coach was right. We missed big time. Like, we got destroyed. And I can't help but think if we had a few better final words, we might have played better. Like, who wants to miss and be among stars? It's like coming in second place in a two team race. Like, we just lost. Now, those are final words remembered for the wrong reason. Paul says here, if you can dig them out of this chapter, he says, there's three final words that I'm going to give you, church. It's this value of community, it's this value of unity, and it's a value of glory. And if you, can, if you can dig into those words through the teaching of Romans 16, says Paul, you're going to be okay. If you, if you listen to these three final words, there's a roadmap to more victory in your life. Instead of getting trounced like we got, Paul said, no, no, there's victory, Rome. And they needed this. Remember, Paul had never been to Rome. He's writing this letter, and they're about to go through the worst persecution the church has ever known. When Nero comes back into power and starts to extinguish lives for a belief in Jesus Christ, Paul is encouraging them for a really difficult road ahead. So the teaching for us this morning is on these three key values about community and unity ultimately to lead to God's glory. Let's look at the first point of our outline about community. That the community here, Paul says, it's, this is like a relational genealogy. And genealogies are parts of the Bible narrative that list how everybody's connected together. Remember Matthew 1, where Matthew the writer says, this is who Jesus is because of his genealogy. You can trace him all the way back through the, the house of David, all the way back to creation, because it was really important in the ancient world to know where somebody's bloodline was. So what Paul does here for the church is he creates a relational genealogy. He remember, he's never been to Rome, so he's reaching out to people he hasn't really met, and he's kind of listing all the people he already knows there, but he's saying, you're connected together. You're connected together. And as he lays out, uh, as he lays out how they're connected together, Paul is teaching us this value that Paul is interested in people and their story. 
And so if we're going to be prescribing that the church is going to say more about the glory of God, if we're going to be actually be able to share our faith with our children, with our spouses, with our neighbors, with our friends, then, then we have to know more about people. The more we love people, the more we can reach them for Christ. Nobody is ever convicted to come to Christ from, you know, from a megaphone. No, they're inspired when, when somebody who loves Jesus loves them. And my hunch is you're in this room today because that's true for you. That though there might be the odd one of you, not that you're odd, but you know, that you found the Bible in the hotel room at your worst place, like you're, you're before Christ was miserable, you're with Christ, you found a Bible or you heard a street preacher or you turned on the TV and you heard the truth of the gospel and after Christ you're changed. My hunch is that, that 98% of us, when we talk about our story of faith, we were somebody's Spain. We were somebody's Macedonian vision. We were somebody's great commission. We were somebody's great commandment. We sat in somebody's Sunday school where they showed up week after week to tell us about Jesus. We were somebody's club kid in Young Life or in church camp that somebody would don't, like, you're here because somebody invested in you. That, that's why we share the gospel because it, it's not ours. None of it. We don't come to faith on our own. We don't, we don't baptize ourselves. We don't, we don't take communion by ourselves. No, we're part of a community. And the more that we're recipients of the way that Christ has poured into me through a network of people, then we can love the world well. We love the world in order to reach the world. So Paul is laying out here, he says, you're connected together you matter to Christ. Your story matters. Your very life speaks to a tapestry of relationships. And so he goes through all of these people. And it's really amazing that community in Romans 16 is forged by diversity. It's forged by the truth that all these different voices matter for the glory of God. And what Paul is saying through this massive statement of diversity in Romans 16 is that the gospel cuts across socioeconomic lines. The gospel cuts across male, female, cuts across race, cuts across all of it for the glory of God. There's no, nothing political happening here. Paul doesn't care about that at all. It's all about God's glory. And so he says community is forged by diversity that as a church we're better together. And how we advocate and see Christ in one another, how we love one another, how we see the gospel changing really different people for the glory of God. We were in the car this week, and there's this song. I'm not going to tell you the band. I'm not gonna, it was just a rock song. And it's got this progressive theme in the rock song where it's like singing about very current issues. This is on a non-Christian station, and it's a popular just rock band. And my daughter was listening as, you know, cause, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like, it's really out there with their message about, you know, violence and guns and what, you know, whatever, like, core issues the singer is talking about. It's like really issue-forward song. You don't hear that a lot. So I've, we were sitting at Trader Joe's. We stopped and listened to the song. Huh, interesting. And pop radio. <clears throat> and my daughter turns to me, who's nine, and she said, Papa, is this... This is Christian. We listen to a ton of Christian music. Is this Christian and rock? She was, like her mind was trying to categorize it because it sounds like a rock song, but these sound like values that we also hear when we listen to Christian music. Is this a Christian song or, and a rock song? And I said, no, honey, this is just a, just a rock song. I don't think the singers of the song have any connection to the gospel, but they're advocating for people. 
And as the words came out of my mouth, it, it felt like, hmm, I think we can do better. I think as a church, when we, when we advocate and we stand with the marginalized in order for God's story to be written in their life, and we speak about how God is loving people across socioeconomic lines, kind of like Romans 16 does, then the gospel can flourish in our city. So what's happening here in Romans 16, these first 16 verses, it's just this, it's basically like a really, it's like a sociology experiment where you have basically everyone, women, about 10 women, men, slaves, rich people, city leaders, and uh, house churches, people that are grieving, so like people that are sad, people that are, are, are leading, all of it's here. And, and I just want to highlight, because each of these names is really interesting, but we're going to pull up a slide. I just want to deep dive into three particular people, Phoebe, Priscilla, and Aquila, and Rufus. Three just hyperlinks. And really, this could be, as you study scripture, you could look on, on Google, you can dig into this. Some of these people we just don't know anything about. About half of this list we do know people about. This list, there's, there's question marks on certain of the names. Are they male, are they female, are they this, that? Here's what we know, though. Three things that we talk about just values and about community coming from these really diverse voices and di- diverse stories in the Church of Rome and why I think it matters today in Seattle. Let's look at Phoebe and Priscilla, Quilla, and Rufus. Phoebe in Romans 1. She's a deacon of the church. This is interesting. He's commending to her the sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church. She's a deacon and she literally shows up with Romans. The reason Paul has to commend her, she's the deliverer of the book of Romans. The most significant piece of theology in the Bible, it's Phoebe that delivers it. And Paul wants the church in Rome to know that she's a deacon, when that she's a leader. She's somebody that cares for others. Now, that's interesting because the astute Bible person would say, well, there's a tension. In, in, there's a tension. What does the scripture exactly teach about gender in the Bible? Because in 1 Corinthians, Paul would tell the church there that women don't speak as leaders. And yet here Phoebe is showing up as a leader, as a deacon, as a deliverer. That, that, that she's been the benefactor of many people, which means both spiritually and, and financially. And Paul says she's a supporter of me. Whatever she is, she has a very big role. And so we have to hold this teaching in Romans 16 just in tension when we say, I want to learn what the Bible says about advocating for women. Now, we did a series in the spring about just different places of the text where God had used women historically, Old and New Testament, to just speak for God's glory. It was really an interesting and very challenging time for me as a leader, actually, because we had a few people that left the church because they said, you know, we don't, we don't want Bible teaching that's political. We just want the Bible. And we said, well, we're just trying to teach the Bible, that God uses women like Phoebe in order to instruct. And Paul says, there's something you're supposed to learn by who's included. We had other people that were like, oh, man, super excited about the series, but it didn't go deep enough at all. We want more about the issues. We want more teaching and more challenging, the, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so it's a tricky time in the church because we're so quick to divide over issues. There's an issue here, but Paul says, certainly in this context, receive the leadership of women here, Phoebe. She's a leader. Ten different women in this list. So in Rome, at least, 
women and men were both really pushing the glory of God forward, really moving the kingdom of God forward. Now, that's not prescriptive for you about how you have to believe, but may it be encouraging to you, especially as a female. God has given you a voice. Use the voice that God has given you. God has given you the breath in your lungs. Use that breath to glorify him. And you could do whatever God wants you to do for his glory, as long as it's for his glory. Uh, This is definitely, for me as a father, for me as a leader of the church, I know we can do better for our women to protect and encourage the image of God in them. So he says, yeah, remember Phoebe. Next, Priscilla and Aquila, Romans 16.3. This is really interesting. I learned so much about Priscilla and Aquila this week. He says, 16.3, greet them, Priscilla the wife, Aquila the man, my co-workers in Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. And when Paul says all the churches, he actually means all the churches. Now, this is phenomenal because when we talk about tension between the text and our culture and how do we lead, there's a huge tension right now about who can be married and how the church validates marriage and which marriages are validated and the, you know, who's included in marriage. Okay, part of the problem of the tension, we're not going to solve that tension this moment, but it's a tension for, for a couple of reasons. Because the church has really missed the mark at times about teaching about godly marriage. We've done a horrible job of supporting singleness and making singles feel whole in the eyes of God and folding them into the family of faith. That single people aren't one half of a whole Christian. They're a whole Christian. And we get that the Bible is so honoring of singles, but the church has missed the mark at times and how to lead that way. Around divorce, we're inconsistent at best because the scriptures have lots to say about divorce and then also just about teaching godly marriage. I had a meeting this week and the man's like, well, I know you care about marriage. I know you and Heather teach marriage conferences. You have one coming up in March. Tell me everything Bethany North does for marriages. And I was like, hmm, we could do better. We could just do better. Like before I'll marry couples, I make them take, you know, pre-marriage classes with me or take marriage retreats, whatever. And then we marry Christian couples and then we send them into the journey of life. And many Christian marriages are missing intimacy. Intimacy in a lot of different ways. Recreational intimacy, spiritual intimacy, emotional intimacy, sexual intimacy. We are called in marriage to love and serve one another. So our marriages should be pictures of God's glory. And part of the problem around as we talk about what marriage is and isn't in the tension of our culture is because the church, like our, our marriages should be the best. And really we look just like the rest of culture. So when we're speaking about values, it sounds really shallow. Priscilla and Aquila are remarkable. And you're going to have to do your own work on this in the week ahead. Because every time they're mentioned in the scriptures, they're always mentioned together. And oftentimes Priscilla's name is first. Now in the Bible, how your name was listed first or second was kind of like who is the leader in the relationship. It's remarkable for me because if you look up marriages in the Bible, there's actually not a lot of them. And some of them in the Old Testament, like Esther and and, uh, uh, Ruth, like some of these are, are forged by kind of power differentials at the beginning. 
But Priscilla and Aquila seem to have this amazing godly marriage. Their marriage is mentioned in Acts 18, in Romans, in 1 Corinthians, and Timothy. And I didn't realize this till this week. They, they planted churches in, in Ephesus, in Corinth. Here they are in Rome. Paul's like, say hi to them. And then at the end of Timothy, Paul says, say hi to Priscilla and Aquila. They're moving around together for God's glory. Now, why does this matter? Because again, if I said that the church's teaching about marriage should be less about who can't be married, and we should be more teaching about what this is what godly marriage is, and we have mentors, and we have models, and we're, hey, we don't just want to marry in a church, we want you to aspire towards real intimacy with Jesus and one another. Like, that should be a focus if, if we're living into our values about godly marriage. We could do better. Priscilla and Aquila are remarkable because they're never spoken apart, to, they're never spoken of in the scriptures separately. Now, I don't know if this is a word for you, but as I studied this week, I certainly had a word of the Lord from me because in a busy young family, I've got four kids, there's a lot of busyness, and we'll use a phrase. I use this phrase. I want to, I want to end this phrase. I'll use this phrase. Let's, let's divide and conquer. Anyone else use the phrase? Okay. We divide and conquer. You go here, I'll go here. We're dividing and conquer. I'll go here, you go there. And, and that's just a reality because one kid's got to come here and one, someone's got to go to bed and someone's out late and whatever, but... Holy crow, as I studied this week, I was just thinking, man, this divide and conquer lifestyle can leave us feeling really divided. And godly marriage is meant to worship God and how we serve and honor one another together. Real intimacy. Imperfect, but aiming at something. I found a model this week in Priscilla Quillo that I want to aspire to in my godly marriage. And finally, Rufus. Rufus, verse 13. Of course, it's just a, Rufus. It's just a fun name to say. But look at Rufus. In 13, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, his mother, who's been a mother to me too. Now, this is where the scriptures are so interesting. Because Rufus isn't just Rufus. Rufus is the son of Simon the Cyrene. We know in the Gospels, Simon was the one against his will that had to what? Any Bible students in the room? He had to carry the cross. Simon the Cyrene, and Cyrene is in northern Africa, kind of a modern-day Tunisia. Simon was an African. He was a dark-skinned northern African that was in Jerusalem, and against his will, he carried the cross. Now, this is speaking to some people this morning, because there's people in this room that God has asked you to carry something that you didn't want to carry. There are people in this room that the Spirit of God says, I know this feels like affliction. I know this feels like pain. I know this feels like lack of progress. But when I ask you to carry something, I can write a legacy in your life because we don't know what happened to Simon the Cyrene. But here we know from the Scriptures, Rufus is his son. And some years later, Rufus is in Rome planting churches with his mother. His mother is caring for Paul, like a mother to him. Now, this is mind-blowing This African family from North Africa is now planting a church in Rome. Paul is is writing to encourage them. The, The gospel cuts across racial lines. The gospel says you are no longer defined by what culture defines you. We are defined. How many races are there in the world? One, the human race given by God. Now, many different ethnicity, many different tribes and tongues, the scripture says, but one race given the very breath of God to worship God and how we love one another. It's why I'm passionate about the work of the Ministry of Racial Justice and Reconciliation because though we're doing it imperfectly, we're trying to lay slaughter to these evil, 
evil demons of racism telling the people have different value ascribed in our society by their skin tones. It was never God's intention. Now, people are like, that sounds like a political agenda. Well, you can wash your mouth out with soap. It is the glory of God that we would worship him, not by our skin color. And so Paul says, Rufus, man, you're like a brother to me. If Your mom's like a mother to me. It's incredible. Phoebe, Rufus, like this whole Romans 16 is just full of this like call to relationship with people that you'll be surprised and amazed with. There's another church in town, and I'm not going to say who it is, and it doesn't even matter, but we wanted to pray with them over this, this whole decision that we were making, and I'm like, can we just pray together? There's another Christian church in our town, in North King, Sassanomish County. Can we pray? No. Uh, we can't pray with you, because you have different theology than us. Like, we're all Christians, but we can't pray together. Yeah. This is where the church starts to lose its witness to the non-believing world because we're, we're judging one another constantly. Church, we're going we're gonna to be amazed when we get to heaven at who's invited to the party. We're going to be just amazed because Jesus is so much bigger than my political lens. Jesus is so much big than my sexual identity. Jesus is so much bigger than my marital status. Jesus is just bigger he, he, can't be, he can't be limited to the way that we try to limit him. And so I have full confidence that when we stand before him to, to, to worship him in the throne room, we'll be just amazed. You're here. You're here. And they're looking at me like, you're here. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. The grace of God. Read Romans 1 through Romans 11. We will be amazed at the way community is shaped by our diversity. And that leads us to our second point. Raul and I were talking this week. He's like, you know what you always do, right? You give a whole sermon in the first point. And he's right this week. Dang it. But I'll do better next week. But we'll go quickly here. Point two and point three are easy. Point two, unity. Look at verse 17. Paul reminds us here at the end, final word about unity. I urge you, brothers and sisters, watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Our aim is to remove obstacles towards obedience in Christ. Our aim is to strip down anything that's not growing our worship and obedience of Christ. We're not motivated by what makes sense in culture. We're motivated to be more like Jesus. Lord Jesus, take me and allow me to be more like you. And that's where our unity is. We are not trying to be uniform because we'll never reach a place, even in Romans 16, we'll never be uniform. No, uniform means everybody looks exactly the same, but unity says it's our shared pursuit towards Jesus that allows us to to stay in fellowship together. So where does your unity come from? If it's towards Jesus, go where the fruit is. More of Jesus, you can trust where the fruit is. A unity is forged by harmony. So this is, the, this is the focus, that more and more harmony towards more and more God's glory in the world. Paul warns them about people that are addicted to their own growth, their own belly, he called them. It's, it's sin. And so I don't know where you're at this morning, but I, I do ask this question. Where's a place that you've been divisive that you need to confess? Because Paul says here that it's our unity that will really speak towards worship of the Most High King. Is there an element of divisiveness in your life that you need to confess? 
You can write that down and you can reflect in the week ahead. We have a, um, we have a really good website and app that has all of the past messages. And I really love to know that many of you that call this church home have listened to Pastor Richard's sermon during Snowmageddon on Romans 14. Because that is a really important text about, about unity coming, not from a complete agreement on any issue we might face in any, in any era, but where our unity comes from gl- greater glory in God. And, and there's this thing in Romans 14 called the disputable matters. And what Richard does really well in the sermon is he traces historically all the different places that people broke apart in disunity that now we look at and it seems silly about dancing or about clothing we wear. And, and so his, his point of emphasis in the teaching is in a bigger worship of Jesus allows us to stay in relationship one to another. And we were going to, in all six locations on Snowmageddon weekend, we were going to do this response. Write down a place of divisiveness and bring it to the altar. Like lay it down in worship of Jesus. And we didn't get to do it. But you can listen to the message. The reality is, church, we, we're, we're called to depend on one another. We need one another. And it's our unity forged by this harmony as we actually love one another well that allows us to journey together. There's this really interesting research called the Geographical Perception on, on Emotional Tilt. It's by these two researchers, Bala and Prophet, Social Support and the Perception of Geographical Slant. You could Google this research project, social support and perception of geographical slant. And what it basically says is that when you're looking at a geographical slant, that your mind's eye, depending on your age and, and, and the things that you've gone through and your sense of resilience, that you'll actually see the geographical slant of the hill you're going to walk. You actually will see it differently. That's a, your, your mind's eye actually perceives the slant differently. Now, this is what's interesting. Because, here, Jake, come here. <clears throat> if you, and this is where Stay everyone in the room, sorry. everyone in the room says, never sit down here by Thank you so much. This is Jay, everyone. So, so Jay's going to walk this ramp. Like, you've got, don't walk it yet. <laughs> but if you, trust me, we're going to be okay. You'll see the slant differently by the amount of loneliness you face, the hardships you faced, about your sense of resilience. And if I come up to you and say, that's a hard hill, Jay. You should walk faster. You should wear different shoes. You should go this, that. If I just tell you things, your mind's eye, your mental perception, it doesn't change the slant at all. Now, but this is interesting. If you journey with somebody, the same research, in the research, social support, if you have somebody on the journey, if you're looking at, before you even take your first step, your mind's eye will see the slant less. The hill looks smaller if you're not alone. Now, I don't know if you think that's amazing. I think that's amazing that we actually can trace this, that from people alone, the journey looks harder, but when we actually are in unity and harmony with one another, you don't feel like it's going to be quite as difficult. Mm-hmm. Everyone give Jay a big round of applause. Thank you. So our unity comes from harmony. Our, 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 our community comes from diversity. And finally, this is where Paul's getting to. It's all got to be about the glory of God. This is his, his famous benedicting words, the glory. That Look at slide, uh, or Romans 16, 25. Now to him who is able, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. 
Incidentally, this is Paul's about third closing in the final chapters of Romans. He just keeps trying to wrap up and like, and one more thing, and one more thing. Who's that like? Anyway, that's, I don't know. Uh, but he's, you know, Paul's like, hey, this is who you are. This is what you do. Now, now, now it's all got to be about the glory of God. It's all got to be about the cross of Christ. It's all got to be about God's glory being declared into your life. And in this way, Paul says, you'll experience victory. The glory of God was forged by the victory of the cross. Now, the glory of God forged by the victory. Paul is saying here that, that there's, there's real dangers out there. He'll say in, in Romans 16, 20, the, peace, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And he's alluding all the way back to Genesis about the serpent and when you think about the serpent and the snake, the reality is snakes are really dangerous. And, and spiritually, we can trace back sin back to Genesis. Paul's like, there are things in your life that want to destroy that sense of victory. There are things in your life that want to steal the glory of God like a snake trying to speak lies to you. When I was leaving school one year, when we lived in Spokane, I stopped on the side of the road and there was a rattlesnake right on the side of the road warming itself on the pavement. And so I got like a three-foot stick and I was playing with the rattlesnake, trying to get it off the road or trying to do whatever. I don't know. I was a young man, but it was still a really stupid thing to do. And I was alone and I lived to tell about it, amazingly, right? But as I later told people, like, are you a fool? Like, snakes... They'll come for you, man. Like, they're faster than you are. They can leap. They can bite. They, like, it's dangerous stuff. And Paul says here, like, God wants to crush Satan under your feet. We don't even know what to do with that kind of language because that kind of victory we don't like to talk about in the church very much. Why are we scared to say that God's glory is forged by victory? It's because for many of us in our mind's eye, we have this false dichotomy when we talk about God's victory, it's all about like, we'll never suffer and we'll never hurt. And we'll never be lonely. And, and it's all prosperity gospel. And then as soon as we struggle or we hurt or we mourn, that paradigm breaks down. Or we get into this other way of thinking where we say it's all brokenness. Everything on this side of eternity, God will never let me experience his victory. He'll never let me experience his glory. There's no, there's no power like your faith is meant to have power living inside of you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is, is inside of you by the Holy Spirit. And so though life is hard, we're meant to be tapping into this power. Lord Jesus, through the victory that is the cross, may my life express some victory. I met with a new mentor this week and he was telling me the story about deepening Holy Spirit work in his life. And he said he was convicted when he did a Bible study with a bunch of high school kids and they were reading in Ephesians about the power of the Holy Spirit. And the kid just stopped him and he said this, Where's the power at? Like I'm looking at the church, I'm looking at the programs, I'm looking at the ministry staff, I'm looking at, I'm looking at, at the world, and I'm hungry for real power. Paul says in the victory of the cross, in the glory of God that we get to tap into, this is where our, our victory lies. This is where the, the power is. It, Remember that, vote, that, that quote by Frederick Buechner? He says, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Do not be afraid. 
So much truth there. It's such a beautiful world. And at times there's terrible things that happen. We're called through the power that is Christ inside of us to be experiencing victory. Victory over my brokenness. Victory over my sin. Victory over places that feel like lost. That God would come in and redeem in order for more of his glory in my life. And of course, church, on this side of heaven, we will hunger for more and more victory. But may we be a church that believes the victory is is available through Christ. Remember Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? 1 Corinthians 15, thanks be the God who always leads us where? To victory in Christ. Romans again, you are more than a conqueror. And so as a church, we've got to be hungry, even through Lent, where we're practicing dying to ourselves, that we might be more and more and more hungry for God's glory played out in our life. And everything that brings God glory through Christ is where we aim. In Christ, we want to be praying for people that feel lost or far from us. Who is someone in this season that you want to pray for to experience God's glory, to experience God's victory? Who would you write down? It's my spouse. It's my roommate. It's my child. It's myself. Who are we actually hoping in the season of Lent experiences God's victory? We should have their name on our lips. We should be praying for them in the prayer room and writing names on the wall. We should be thinking of ways to share our story with Jesus as him as the hero so that people far from God needing a taste of victory will experience his glory. It's got to be powerful. It's got to be victorious for God's glory, not ourself. It's difficult work because so much of the world is wearing us down. But Paul says here, through Christ will be glory, will be victory, different than the way we expect it. Remember last week, Romans 15, Paul says, I'll come to you in Rome. It's going to be great. He came in chains. Some of you feel like you're in chains this morning. And Jesus wants to remind you, more of glory in his will, more victory in your life, even as you suffer and die unto yourself when it's about his glory and not your own. You know, that go back to that high school story, oh, shoot for the moon. You know what actually happened? We, we got trounced in that game. But what started to happen was a culture change in that school. Young kids started to look at older kids and say, I, I think I want to play that sport. I want to I belong to that club. More and more of um, Christian influences stepped into that school. A stronger and stronger young life, more and more gospel. And the team started to reflect that. They started to believe and they started to have more victories pile up. We left feeling like, man, I'm not sure anything even happened here when we were all gone. But three years later, those boys that were just young men when we were there, They've won the state championship. Victory often looks different than what you expect. And I guarantee you will have little vision for real victory in your life. But keep walking it out. More Jesus, more glory, more unity, more community, all so that we might experience his victory together. Will you pray with me now? Lord Jesus, thank you for this time, these people, this place. We come to you in worship and adoration now on Communion Sunday, God. Unite us by your blood and your body. And as we take communion, remind us that your power is here at work in us now. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.